My name is Matt McCann, for anyone who doesn't know me. Um, I'm right now in my second year with this church, uh, with Seven Mile Road as a church planting resident. So just to give you a, a quick update of where me and my wife are in the process of seeing a Seven Mile Road planted up in our area in the Merrimack Valley. We've just started uh, meeting at our home to, to have gospel community with another family named the Garavanians. So it is a husband and wife and their senior and high school son, Armin. Uh, so last week we met, we opened scripture, we pressed the gospel, we prayed. Um, so that's where we're at right now. It is very early, but it, is, it, it really is the formings of a gospel community in Bill Ricca. So um, as you think of that, just, just pray for us. And uh, I'll provide other updates as we get going. Always excited to uh, preach the word for you and to sit under God's word with you. So if you're like me, in the hustle and bustle of everyday life, when it starts to calm down a little bit, you start to wonder, like, what is going on with life? What am I here for? What is this? This morning's text in Acts is one of those foundational biblical texts that answers questions like, why are we striving to live in community? Why are we trying really hard to fight for community? Why are you here on a Sunday instead of a million other places that you could be right now? Like, why do we, why do we give money towards God's mission of the church rather than saving it or spending it on a bunch of other things that we need or want? So Acts 4.12 really is one of those texts that answers those kinds of questions. So I'm really excited about this. If you turn there, I'll read Acts 4.12, and then, and then we'll get going together. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Pray with me. God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, move on us and draw our hearts towards Jesus. Let, him, let us see him in Scripture this morning. Okay, amen. Uh, We've been preaching through this wild book of Acts. So it's God's moving in history to spread the fame of his son throughout the whole world. It's just buckets of grace dropped on communities of believers. So in the text we're going to cover today, Peter is speaking specifically to Jewish leaders. These men are the cultural elites of his day. They're extremely respected. They're honored by all the people. And so Peter is going to stand up in front of them and clearly, boldly, no equivocations, he's just going to drop a truth bomb statement that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation for anyone. Jesus Christ is the only way for anyone, anywhere to be saved. So now that's not a popular statement in Peter's context, and it's not really a popular statement in our own context today. So what I'd like to do is just quickly shape Peter's world context, the the type of world that Peter was living in when he said this, and see if if it applies to our own. Now, if you read through uh, chapters 1 through 7 of Acts, the gospel of Jesus Christ is local good news. What I mean is it's a local message or a local to Jerusalem message. So it's, it's not being publicized on Fox News or CNN. It's really like Fox 25, my Boston. I don't know what you guys use. Is that what everyone uses? Fox 25? That's what I use. 
It's local news. In the beginning of Acts, at the spread of the early church, Christianity, it seems like it's just for a small select people group, Jews. Now, in Peter's world context, there's a million different religions that you can choose from and cherish. Millions of options. So the God, the, in Jerusalem, they have the God of Moses, right? They worship the God of their fathers. In Athens, there's a bunch of different gods that you can choose from. If you went to a place called Ephesus, you could buy little silver shrines of the goddess um, Artemis, and you could go and worship in her temple. Under Caesar's rule, Caesar's God, and everyone confesses that he's Lord. But even still, you could pick other gods and you could cherish other people's gods. That was fine. There was no problem with that. It was kind of a live and let live type attitude. Everyone has their different religious beliefs, and that's fine. You do your thing, and I'm going to do my thing. I don't know if that sounds familiar. So we call that a pluralistic world, right? There isn't just one set of beliefs that everybody believes. It's, a, it's pluralism. So pluralism, with its many different truths, is just generally accepted, right? And on the surface, it's definitely accepted. And this is, like, this is, our, this is our day, too. If you got to share your faith with someone locally, whether you're at your kid's soccer game or you're in some other context, really sharing your faith with anybody, the conversation would probably go like this. You'd share your faith and they'd say, that's what you believe? That's great. That, that's great for you. I, I, I like that you derive strength and meaning and purpose for your life from your beliefs. That is great for you. Peter's world message and our world message is have your God have your truth. Just make sure you do so privately. And so in this increasingly, um, in an increasingly hostile world, if you want to lay claim to definitive truth statements, that there is one truth, that's going to get you hated, that's going to get you, in Peter's context, killed or in prison. In our own context or certain parts of the world, the same thing, killed or in prison. In our own American context, maybe just hated. The question then becomes, is this Jesus Christ of Nazareth the God of Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees? Is Jesus Christ of Nazareth the God of Caesar? Is he the God of China? Is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this, is he the God of India, the God of all Islamic states, the God of every agnostic atheist? You see where that's going? Is Jesus Christ the one true God of the one heaven and earth. Because if he is, and he is everyone's God, whether he's worshipped rightly or rejected wrongly, it's going to get uncomfortable saying those things in a pluralistic context. Now, we're going to go into the text, and Peter really isn't all that concerned with making people feel uncomfortable. He really just wants to state the truth of God for what it is. So let's go into the text. We're going to be in chapter 4, but leading up to chapter 3, here's what happens. The apostles Peter and John, they're walking through Jerusalem. They're going to the temple, and as they're going, they walk up to a crippled man who's lying on the ground. He's never walked. So we covered this a little bit last week. This guy's outside the, tem- the temple, and he has no hope, right? He is waiting on a salvation that seemingly is not coming. He is the lowest of lows, He has to be carried around to places. He's not walking anywhere. 
He needs someone else to come up and do for him what he can't do for himself. So Peter comes up to him, he looks directly at him and goes, look, I don't have any money. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Notice how local that name Jesus is. It's associated with this insignificant, nobody, know-nothing town called Nazareth. Now, when I'm reading through the text, reading through the Bible, I like to ask questions of the text. I'm a question asker. You can ask my wife. I, will, I ask a million questions about everything to anybody, and then I take what they tell me, and I store it in my little mind book. I love asking questions. So I ask the question of this text, why did God fix this man's legs? And he fixed this guy's legs. The answer is we know because it tells us so that a crowd would gather. And then I ask another question, why did God want a crowd to gather? God wants a crowd to gather around this crib, this healed cripple, because he's going to have Christ-centered, gospel-centered Peter go from temporary leg salvation to eternal soul salvation in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's going to use this healing of this crippled man's legs to say, Jesus Christ saves the soul. Okay, so now we're at our text in chapter 4. Because this man's healed, and Peter and John were using it to say, using it to talk about the risen Christ and how someday God's going to raise every single person from the dead. The leaders are upset. They throw them in prison. They spend the night in prison. Peter, John, and the cripple, they come out. They stand before the leaders, and they're like, Peter, what are you doing? What's with all this Jesus talk? What's with the resurrection from the dead talk? You're disturbing our belief system, Peter. What are you doing? So here's what the text says in chapter 4, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders. That is very bold. Peter is not shaken in his boots. He is filled by the Spirit, and he comes out clearly with a bold statement that he knows is going to be hated. But the other part in this is, it's humble. He addresses them respectfully. He he addresses them honorably. He calls them rulers of the people and elders. So he gets filled with the Spirit, and this is what he says. If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and he's become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Summarizing what Peter says, it's basically, hey, this local man, Jesus of Nazareth, God raised him from the dead. He's not dead. You can see that he just healed this crippled man's legs. Jesus isn't dead. But he keeps going. He says, this Jesus is the way to salvation. You have to be in him, and only in him can you be saved. And then he ends with, only in the name of Jesus can anyone, anyone be saved. Peter's saying that this local man, Jesus, is actually the universal God. He's the universal God. So I'm going to do two things with this text. I want to speak to this beautiful, beautiful fact that Jesus saves 
in negative language because that's what Peter does. He's using negative language here. Then I want to speak to the beautiful fact that Jesus saves in positive language. Okay? I'm sure you'll like that a little bit better. The negative. In our postmodern context, right, that's the world that we live in, it is very popular to say that all roads lead to heaven. Have you ever seen the coexist bumper sticker? It's a little blue sticker. It has all these white religious symbols on it, and it spells out the word coexist. Now, I'm fine, totally fine and cool. If what that sticker is saying is that people believe in a bunch of different things, and you should be able to live and love next to your neighbors who believe different things. You don't murder people over different beliefs. Totally with that, right? Jesus didn't come murdering people with different religious beliefs. Jesus gets murdered by people with religious beliefs, right? Christians should be the most humble and loving people to live next to because They worship a God who was willing to die for his enemies and saves them only by grace. So I am totally, totally with the coexist bumper sticker in that sense. We should be able to live next to our neighbors and coexist like that. But if the coexist bumper sticker means all roads lead to God, all all beliefs about God are equally valid, then it's giving a misleading and wrong message. If you've got that sticker on your car, I love you. You don't have to scrape it off. I love you. It's popular to say that all roads lead to God. If your faith is genuine, if you're a genuine person who tries to do good things to the people around you and you love them and you work hard, then when you die, if there's a God, whoever he is, will accept you. So I'd say that seems to be the prevailing sentiment in, among Bostonians, maybe America, um, I'd say that most of my friends who I love, they they think like this. So bear with me for a second. All roads lead to God is only true if God did not prescribe only one way to God. Right? So I used to work for a food broker. Just give you a quick couple seconds on that. I would literally get in my car and I would drive all day long and I would go to Shaw's uh, for about 10 minutes, I'd get out of Shaw's and I'd drive to the next one. My job was just to go to these places, make sure that my boss's product looked nice and people were buying it. So I'd get in my car, I'd drive four hours up to Bangor, Maine, I'd go in there for two seconds and I'd come back home. I 100% relied on GPS. I think anybody else would. Just plug it in and I'm going. I got to this remote location. I didn't know where I was. I plugged in my location. GPS... excuse me, GPS said go straight, so I went straight. I'm driving on a road, it says keep going, the road gets dirt. I'm going to keep going, the GPS says keep going, it gets dirtier. So then it says keep going, and I just keep going, and now I'm in the woods. It says keep going, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep going. I get next to this guy with a bloody axe, red eyes, and a beard like Pastor Justin's. I'm exaggerating a little bit, his beard wasn't as thick as Justin's. So, The point is, and it's a simple illustration, I was on a road that wasn't a road. I needed to be on a road that the town had actually built and intended to take me to good places. Everyone understands that we can physically be on a road that we don't want to be on and be going to the wrong place. Everyone can understand that, but what we don't want to believe and what people don't want to believe is that spiritual, eternal reality 
can be the same way. Now, this is what Peter is saying. And he says this because Jesus said this. So this morning, as when Pastor Cruz opened up, he used the text in where Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So this is what Peter is saying in this text. He's saying that Jesus is the only way for anyone. When he says that, when Peter says that there's a name under heaven, there's only one name given under heaven, he means everyone's heaven. He doesn't mean that there's different continents on the world with different people groups that have different heavens. So Arabs and Jews and Chinese and Americans and Canadians, everyone on the earth live under one heaven. And he says more specifically that it's a name, that there's a name under heaven that saves. It matters who you're relying on, what name you're calling on when you stand before God. That matters. It says that in the book of Romans, and I love this text, it's an anchor for my soul, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Asking the Bible questions, what must I do to be saved? You have to call on the name, right? But calling on the name doesn't mean like I have a password, I'm going to walk up to a door, I'm going to say the password, and then I'm going to get in because I know the name. When we say you need to know the name and people need to know the name of Jesus, what we're saying is people need to know the person. People need to know this person named Jesus, the God-man, What Peter is actually getting at in this text wouldn't have confused anybody he's talking to. Every Jew that he said this to would have understood this, namely that there is only one Lord of heaven. Every first century Jew knew that. What they didn't know or didn't love was that this man, Jesus Christ, who they killed, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, was actually a universal God. The Jews are expecting this local Messiah who is going to be a national Jewish figure. What Peter is saying is he is way more than this Jesus of Nazareth. He came back from the dead, and he's actually the universal God. This Jesus is for everybody. So what do we say about this? And I'm I'm stressing the negative. Christianity is exclusive. So... A lot of times this text is used to call what we call the exclusivity of Christ. Martin Luther said, solus Christus, Christ alone for salvation. Now when you tell that to people, that Jesus is the only way, it's exclusive, a lot of people's hearts, and maybe your own, can say, but exclusivity is mean and leaves people feeling left out. And you might, or someone might say that because they have a genuine experience of being excluded from something wrongly, right? Excluded from something in an ungodly, wrong way. And so the, the, the thought of someone being excluded on any basis is just hard to take. But the exclusivity of Christ is not mean. It's not mean. And this, this is why. God's intentions in making Jesus the only way for salvation isn't to see how many people he can keep out of his family. It's so that he could get people into his family, The mission of God is that he sends Jesus into the world to proclaim clearly that he is the way of salvation. If there's only one way of salvation, and there is, the most loving thing that God could do 
was proclaim clearly what that way is. And then when he comes back to life and he's going to ascend into heaven, he gives his disciples this mission to go and tell it to all the nations. I mean, that is loving. So that gets us into the positive. Let's, let's do that. If you read, there's one name given under heaven by which we can be saved. You could rephrase that like this without changing the meaning of the text at all, I think. There is a name under heaven that can save. You can rephrase it. Anyone, anyone on earth can have a saving relationship with God through Jesus. Jesus is so inclusively loving that he's for every skin color, every person, every age, every gender, every toothful, toothless smile. Every single person who will repent and believe in the Son can have salvation through Jesus' relationship with God eternally. It doesn't matter if you sold a ton of drugs. It doesn't matter if you failed miserably at business or something else in your life. It doesn't matter if you've been rejected by family or have a ton of baggage in your life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. When it comes to salvation, Jesus is for everybody. So now we're coming to a close. I want to dig out a couple implications of this text. But when Peter makes this universal claim, universal claim, in his pluralistic world where people believe in a whole bunch of different things, is he just being one-sided? Like, is he, is he just being a jerk? Like, doesn't he know that people believe in a bunch of things? And how can he say that his truth is truth and their truth is not true? Is he being a jerk? A jerk? So I think, and I hope, the answer is no, right? Peter is being Christ-centered for their good and out of love for them. He doesn't stand up before them and talk about himself. He doesn't talk about he has moral superiority. He doesn't talk about anything to do with him. He stands before them a fisherman, right? Sinful, saved by grace. And out of love for Jesus and out of love for them, he tells them exactly, exactly how to have a saving relationship with God. This is amazing news. It's really, really good news. It's the gospel. Closing applications here. I love to ask the questions. Is this Jesus your salvation? Is this Jesus your salvation? So I'd be wrong to come and, or stand up here and, and preach a text and not ask you specifically, what are you trusting in? There's a million different things on this world that we can trust in. We can trust in, in money, right, and hope for a good retirement. We can trust that Um, on a happy, comfortable existence, a peaceful existence. We can hope for that, right? We can hope and trust that there's going to be another time later where we can repent and believe. We want to just put that off, and I'm trusting that that time is coming for me where, yeah, someday I'm going to just, I'm just going to give it over to Jesus at that time. I'm going to fall in repentance then. I want Jesus, just maybe not now. This text is not something you put off. This Jesus is someone you need to know for salvation right now. So if the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart, in your life, to be pointing you to Jesus, this message this morning, this text in this way is for you. This Jesus is for you. Believe 
in Jesus' trust in his gospel. The second thing is this. It, it goes back to what I said in the beginning. I mean, this is the reason why we're sitting here, right? This is the reason why we plant churches, why we give our money, why we live in community. It's because Jesus is our only hope. And Jesus is the only hope for anybody else, right? In, our, in a pluralistic context, our neighbors, beautifully, are going to be all kinds of different people. And they're going to believe all kinds of different things. And if the gospel is true, their only hope is Jesus. So in preparing this, I've been really thinking on this text the past few weeks. And um, I'd like to just tell you a little bit about what this has been doing for me. I tend to get daunted and despair a little bit about all the different things that people in my social circle are believing, right? They believe a million different things. So I tend to despair a little bit like these people who I know, are never going to just wake up in the morning and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. They're never going to do it. And I say, these people who I love and people around me, they're never going to come to know Jesus. Like, never. This text goes wrong. Wrong. There is hope for the people in my circle. There is a way for these people to be saved. And it is Jesus I don't have to be scared or daunted by the fact that they're not believing because I I can have confidence to press Jesus in a loving, humble way because Jesus is their only hope. If they have a hope at all, it's the hope that God gave in Jesus. So that now is giving me this confidence that with all my different neighbors, all the people in my circle, they don't believe in Jesus right now, but if there's hope for them, it's in Jesus and so instead of despairing, now I'm, I'm being freed up to hope, right? To hope and trust that God has given a way of salvation. And that way of salvation is for everybody. So I just want to close with saying, let this text free your heart to joyfully say, Jesus is the only way for my church, my community, my neighbors. I'm going to give myself to to my time, my energy, my money, to making Jesus known in my context. Pray with me. God, we thank you for sending your son, that you're a loving father who sent a son, and through Jesus, we can know you and love you forever. God, I pray that anyone in here who does not know the grace of your son, that you would make that so clear right now and they would repent and believe in your Son. God, free us and send us on mission with this news of your gospel. We'll give you the praise. Amen.